Hello and welcome to Minute 49 of The Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into The Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Tom. And I'm Rob. And joining us again this Thursday from the Marriage Fit Podcast in the wild, Wilder Ride, Alan Sanders. Welcome back, Alan. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. I'm loving it. I, I, I've written only three tick marks down, so I'm assuming I still have a few more days. Or, or are you going to kick me out early? I don't know which way it's supposed to happen here. <laughs> we haven't decided yet either. <laughs> so 49 starts with Hiltz running through the rest of his plan, and it ends with Ramsey giving a nod to Roger. So this plan that he has. The logistics of it seem incredibly questionable to me. So they're digging three feet down. Figure you're digging a three-foot-ish wide hole by probably figure about a three-by-one, three-by-18-inch hole to get through, three-foot-by-18-inch hole to get through. And you're not – I. how hard is the dirt? Because it seems like it should be – substantially harder dirt to get through with very little tools. That's what I couldn't figure out. Is that what he came to a conclusion of in the cell that this, the dirt is going to have some sort of a softer sand like quality after a certain number of feet. Cause it, it, it's like he, I don't know. We were supposed to be led to his sudden recognition of his. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they want us to see. So, I don't know what the soil con- – you're going to have to have, like, a geologist on or somebody who, who who is a scientist in that area. But to me, that's all I could harken back to is he must have been soft enough, almost sand-like, where the three feet would give him just enough below the surface to be able to be hidden without, um, you know, causing a collapse and yet still soft enough that they could dig by hand. I mean, I guess. I, I've just had to – I'm not saying reality. Right, no. I just – I flash back to every time I've had to dig holes in the ground that, you know, some three feet, some not as deep. And I'm using a spade, and it's still a pain to do, much less trying to do it with my hand. But right. just seems questionable. And I feel like Ramsey, Roger, and Mac all have seem to have my same opinion of it because they just look at them like, what are you doing? You know. well, I saw it differently, which ironically we'll get to, I think, at the end of the minute. They, I, Because I, they're going through this super complexity. We're going to go 30 feet down. They're going to go, we're going to dig three tunnels. One's going to go this way. One's going to go that way. Then we're going to have a parallel tunnel. We're going to do, and I was like, and all of a sudden, here's what we're going to do. Blind spot. We're going to go down three feet. Sing, and I'm, they're looking at me like, did we just go through a ton of effort where we could have just done the same thing? <laughs> so I all saw right. um, Tom is going, yeah, you- huh. All right, I've, I've been silent. You want to burst both of your bubbles right now? <laughs> it might as well. Of course. This, this really did happen. This is one of the few things in the, in the script that is based on, on reality. There was a New Zealander, W, by the name of Piglet Lamont. Piglet obviously was not his uh, given name. <laughs> Where he actually did this. He, he had a, a, it was known as a mole idea. Which, what it did was it greatly shortened the distance necessary to tunnel. And basically what, what they did was is they started digging, uh, around, uh, one of the huts, which was just a few yards from the wire. And what his idea was is that they would, they would dig seven feet deep and then they would, they would get inside and they'd cover the entrance 
and they'd start dug they they dug twenty feet on and little by little and they they, they were comp- one of the things that the, the movie obviously spares us is that uh, all the digging was really done in the nude so I'm I'm quite glad that they don't don't do that here <laughs> you know they they let us see everyone wearing their clothes and soiling their clothes Piglet and and I think two others what they did was is they they really did this they 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 went seven feet down. Pushed the dirt behind them. It took them 20 feet. They they started tunneling and they they made holes along the way. Basically, after they were in, someone covered up the hole and they buried them alive. Basically, what he ended up doing was is during the night they tried going through. <laughs> they 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 ran into some problems along the way. What they basically say here is, is that Lamont was in front. The other two behind him were shoving the sand back behind them and they were filling up the tunnel as they were moving along. They made it about four feet out of the, how many feet did I say? They needed about 20 feet. Right. So they made it, made it about four feet and then they, they started sticking up the, the poles in order to have uh, breathing holes. What happened was is that they, they were, they were very concerned that they'd actually uh, run out of air and they would, they would all suffocate and pass out. And basically all the other prisoners were watching from a hut nearby. They were looking to see and uh, at night there was steam coming out of all of those holes. That they were making, and they were scared that the the Germans would actually catch uh, and see see the the steam come out of those and 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 get them. At some point, the, they they had watches with them, but because of all the sand, their their watches stopped, and they weren't able to light matches because they didn't have any room there. And at, at, they, they they didn't realize how much time went by, and they started seeing that there was there was light, and that it became, that it was daylight, and. They ended up staying there the entire day, which surprises me that nobody noticed, but apparently this is what happened. And they, they, they waited till they, they saw that it was dark again, and then they waited a little longer just to be sure. And then they, they went up a few feet, and they actually made it outside of the wire. They made it about eight miles before they got, they, they got picked up by somebody. <laughs> as, as stupid as this whole idea sounds, and Max says it, I think he, he says it tomorrow. Yes. Uh, or maybe he says it today. Yeah. <laughs> Three guys actually did it. <laughs> and and it worked. I am more so, incredulous about the how long it took and the fact that they were willing to stay buried alive for an entire day and go through the night and that they were able to make it out successfully and get eight miles before picked up. That's yeah. like mind blown. That would that'd make a movie all by itself right there. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Wow. Well, and this is where, again, I, I assumed that their expressions around him were sort of almost self-chastising. Are we, did we overcomplicate our own plan? You know, and that's how I looked at it. Because, and we're going to find out tomorrow at the end of the scene that, you know, one of the guys makes a comment to that effect. But I don't yeah. know that you would have been successful with a 250-person mass evacuation <laughs> that way. Uh, no, I think someone would have killed someone else on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is very much yeah. a limited person job. So, yeah. Once we get the, you know, story and the weird looks, you know, we see, we don't get too much dialogue about it, but just the way Ives and Hiltz are acting towards each other, we kind of see the relationship that they built up next to each other in the cooler and how I is now very much looking up to Hiltz and, and Ives admits he's cracking. 
Which, which that, that surprised me in itself. If he, if he says that he's so, he's bloody close to, to bear happy, he says it, no one else says it, and they're still gonna let him go? I mean, <laughs> if, if someone tells me that, that, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm feeling suicidal, you know, but I'm gonna go up on the roof, just to, just to get some fresh air. Wait a second. <laughs> I, I'm gonna be concerned. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say. Oh, you know what? Why not? Go ahead. So they they, they seem to, to to let them go a little too easily uh, after that line. I mean, obviously, Hiltz and Ives are confident about their plan. There's no question about that here. They really believe it's gonna work. Right. But well, I saw it a little differently. Not necessarily that he's cracking, because obviously he admits it. I think from Hiltz's perspective, that's giving him the desperation to pull it off. And the other guys are like, well. Our plan is going to take a whole lot longer. Maybe it's best he doesn't, you know, go bonkers in here if he's got a chance to get out, rather than maybe do something that that draws attention to us in here. Possible, it's possible. But but again, that, when well, you look I, at the true analogy of someone saying saying they're wire happy, that that just that that that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know that either. One, I think you can make it. And it's also <laughs> ironic when you talk about about him being wire happy. Well, I think, uh, especially for people who know what's going to happen later on. Either way, I think you know this is like: is Hamlet insane or is Hamlet really crafty? I think I can argue either way. I think the same thing here. Um, so, it, which doesn't make it a hole in the story; it just makes it interesting. Right. It's true. You'll have to ask Shakespeare that when you when you have your conversation with him. When I have my my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to know that reference. <laughs> Check out. We're not even going to Susan's conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Which also fits into this movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Should we um, explain that for people? <laughs> well, maybe. If uh, you go to the Marriage Fit and you check out episode uh, episode nine, Managing the In-Laws, you, uh, you might find out what we were talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> Here, a, a plug for something that happened six months ago. There you go. Yeah. Go way back. Start start from the beginning. Go to the beginning. You can learn a lot. <laughs> now, all right. I've been teasing this all week, so I'm, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm gonna 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 go for it now. So I, this is the the trigger. Uh, when I heard the word wire happy, I said, okay, I want to see if there are different connotations for what wire happy is. So I I started doing research on on what the phrase wire happy is. And I actually came across an article that was written in 1948, and it was published in the in American Speech, which is the I guess a, a journal in October 1948, volume 23, numbers uh, three four, uh, and it's an article written by Trevor Ashman called Kriegy Talk, which it's it's a seven page article that describes the jargon. Of uh, POWs during uh, World War II uh, explains a hell of a lot. I mean, I was so shocked at, at a lot of these things that I came across here. I'm not going to obviously go through everything here, but what, one of the things that they say is, is that that after, after POWs spent a lot of time together, they all started having uh, the, the. I mean, this, this is this is a, a journal that that deals with linguistics and language and stuff like that. So they were to see if what how did uh, being in a POW camp affect uh, the language of these uh, prisoners, and basically what what they said was is that the American and British prisoners when they were together, they they ended up forming jargon 
for for many of the things that they dealt with along the way. I'll just give a few uh, examples. A few weeks ago, Tom and I were were discussing with uh, with Jim Keen. We we came across the word Vorlager, and we had no idea what it was, and I couldn't find it. Uh, the Vorlager was actually a section of the camp where the Germans kept the supplies. So basically, the the prisoners started using a lot of German words among themselves to to explain different things that were going on in in the camp. We mentioned earlier this week the the word goon. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to figure out, okay, wh- where did that come from? So this article, it's, it's basically in a, an American term that was an uncomplimentary just description of, of labor toughs. And it uh, usually refers to people low mental classification. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> basically, you know, the, the, the goons, the, 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 these were derogatory terms that they, that they were using, but, but it became uniform for both, for, for prisoners you know, Americans and Brits to, to, to start using these terminologies for the Germans that way. And they would actually refer to a lot of things in the camp by then also. They would, for instance, they would refer to things as the goon box. Do you, you can probably easily guess what a goon box is. Anyone? I assume it's the barracks for the guards. Nope. Eh. Alan? <laughs> a goon box, huh? I have no idea. Okay, Goonbox is the guard tower. Okay, right. that makes sense. All right. What's a tame goon? Tame. Uh, someone, someone who's nice, like the guy that will come up later with... Uh, exactly. Uh, and someone who's friendly Someone's friendly to the POWs. Okay, what is... Uh, what's a ferret? What's the difference between a ferret and a goon? Hmm... Goon's going to be more, I think, heavy muscle, dumb, thick Neanderthal, a fairy who's maybe more squirrely, mousy, trying to maybe, I don't know, sneak up and do things or, or find things out, but they're not the, the brute squad. They're more like cunning. Okay. The, you're very close. The ferrets, they're, they're, these were the guards whose job was to detect escape plots and tunnels. Um, so they, they, they would refer to different, you know, diff, different jobs of the, of the, the guards based based on that. They'd have, you know, the men and the, the ferrets, which I've seen this movie dozens of times, and it never even dawned on me to think that there's a differentiation between a goon and a ferret. I thought that was just, okay, these are just derogatory terms of what you would call, you know, the the enemy. You know, they, they I don't even use the word krauts here in the movie. I'm not sure. You're right. I, okay. I don't recall hearing it. It's it's either goons or, or ferrets. Okay, what is a goon hole? A goon hole. Hmm. No idea. Okay, yeah, it's a it's a passage under the barracks that that the Germans would 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 dig up in order to, to hide there, in order to facilitate detection of escape tunnels and eavesdrop on conversations. Meaning that <laughs> the Germans would would. Would would dig up some of the ground and and hide there, in order to to to, to learn information from the from from the prisoners. Oh my god! I never even thought about maybe yeah. digging a tunnel underneath one of the main barracks and eavesdrop from underground. <laughs> I, I just have an image now of a German underneath the floor with a glass. In the... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Yeah, oh, air, just, just a few more. Where two tunnels come right to each other. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. 
uh, a, f- a few more. Um, obviously, in, in many World War II movies, whether you're dealing with uh, POW camps or concentration camps, you hear the term appell. Do either one of you know what appell is? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, that is the, it's a German for what the time that they would get all the prisoners together in order to count them. Basically, roll call. Oh, muster. Uh, but again, the, they would use the German phrases. Which, which is interesting that, yeah. that you know, they would, they would adopt these to use them along the way. Uh, another thing that this article mentions is the, is, uh, the way that the, the prisoners would get information about what was going on outside. And this blew my mind away. Uh, blew, blew my mind. They, they would get information via the German news. And in some ways, it, it says that the average prisoner of war was probably better informed as to the progress of the war in Europe than were most people on the outside. Because they would get a German news via newspapers and the radio. The, they, they, they would have secret radios and they would listen to the BBC. But no one would actually believe the information on the BBC because the BBC would have too much propaganda. And hold on, hold on. Just it actually, let me clear the BBC, one second, one second, one second. The BBC, the, 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 the idea of the BBC news was to try to raise morale and it lowered the morale of the POWs because they knew that that the 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 uh, what what they were telling them on the BBC was not true based on what they were reading in the German papers. I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. BBC was a bigger propaganda machine than whatever Hitler's Germany was pushing out. I I, I heard it differently. I heard that. They would hear the German news, which of course is going to be slanted German, and because they were behind and captured, they wouldn't believe. They would think the BBC was was blowing smoke, and vice versa. Okay, exactly. <laughs> I mean, let's exactly. face it: you're not about to go on on national radio and go, "Yeah, lost another belt." That Hitler guy seems to have his together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then I don't know how well that would go over. <laughs> Correct. Another another few uh, golden parts of this this article, which which I obviously recommend anyone who's interested to find it and, and read this article, that they would actually because all of these prisoners were 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 shot down or captured or whatever it was, no one really wanted to hear everyone else's story of how they got caught. So they would they would refer to their 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 origin story of how they got caught as a there I was, and. <laughs> They would, they would, they would actually make fun of people who would go around persistently recounting their experiences because nobody wanted to hear it. Right, all been through it. Exactly. How do you um, one up somebody when you've all been shot down and captured? Oh yeah. Exactly. Well, let me. I'm gonna one up you. <laughs> I was on a motorcycle. <laughs> wow. Actually, you can. You say I had my guitar with me. I had my trombone with me. <laughs> I was able to take my, my, my tea set with me. You know, that, that's how you one up everyone. And the final thing that I found very, very interesting, which, which is something that this, this movie, because it was made, doesn't really deal with. And if it was made today, obviously it would deal with it. They basically said that, that most of the expressions that the, the that, that all of these PWs coined in camps, that none of them were obscene in origin. They said it could be because of the fact that there weren't, there weren't any women around. So they didn't even try to bustle up what what they were trying to say. They they said that there was limited pornographic art and literature in the barracks, meaning that people weren't 
putting up dirty pictures and uh, and writing dirty limericks along the way. Uh, so I, I found it very interesting that that uh, and this was an article that that came out in 1940. So it was you know they 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 interviewed the the real the the the, the, the people who who made it out. So uh, thank you everyone for waiting all week for hearing them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you started off saying, well, now that we're talking about being wire happy and phrases, I wanted to get into this article. Did you find out what wire happy actually means? Ah, <laughs> I I actually thought I'd already said that. Yes, it says. <laughs> Wire happy was known as definitely peculiar, which didn't really help me. It didn't explain what wire happy means, right. <laughs> but it opened the door for this whole article. I so always I found, I found the wire happy. I, I found the wire happy aspect to be less impressive than the rest of the article. Because <laughs> I always heard of it is that some people they kind of like go stir crazy, like when you're wire exactly. happy, you're ready yeah. to That's go literally climb the barbed wire, and you don't even care if you get shot. You'd rather be shot. In broad daylight, trying to escape, you're, you're done. The subterfuge you can't handle anymore. You just right, you you crack up and you run to the wire. Hence, you're wire happy, like you're gonna wire. That's right. that's exactly how I I knew the the phrase before. And and again, that brings us back to why I think it's really stupid of of Roger and Mac and uh, Ramsey to actually let someone who says they're wire happy go. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they said maybe we might as well let him go out this way as opposed to jumping uh, trying to climb the fence. Yeah. Maybe they said. Maybe they said. Okay, this is his only chance. If he's really that wire happy, I think that's the tone of the scene. Getting back to this minute is, I think it's they realize he's desperate and he's on his last. He's on his last. It's the last thread holding him, holding him together, and he might as well let him go out on his own terms. Yeah, he'd rather go out digging right now, not wait another second. And I think it's going to be kind of prescient for later. And well, we'll get into it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. So I, I just want to thank you two for, 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 for letting me go off on a tangent here with, with that information. Well, thank God it's your show, because if it was mine, I'd be pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Rob. In a couple of weeks, I've got my tangent, and I can almost guarantee you it's going to be longer than yours. So <laughs> Okay. No problem. <laughs> I feel bad for our guest that week. My I, don't know anything about econ- I don't know anything about economics. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Hey, my last comment, I'll just leave this with, um, it goes back to what I said yesterday. Steve McQueen's character, when he sort of like makes eye check with everybody, like, okay, I, okay, <laughs> okay, like, can I go now? It's just so, it's so different in style, delivery. He stands out like a sore thumb. Maybe that was the intent, but it's just, to me, it's almost comical. Like, y- you're wasting my time. I should be digging right now. Okay, can I go? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love it. It just feels out of place. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. No. But I, it differentiates him. It makes him unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Rob, do you have anything else for today? No, I think uh, I think I tired you guys out. <laughs> Man, I love this. I again, I said it earlier this week. The history, the origins. Yeah. I never even thought I was a history person until I became a little bit older and realized, oh, it's more than just memorizing dates and places and names. There's actual stories and people and they do things. Yeah. yeah. And you get to watch movies about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to see how they mess up the, the truth. <laughs> uh, well, Bend wanna... the truth. <laughs> well, no, because then there's Braveheart, which just shatters it. But a whole different podcast. Yeah, but I, I love Braveheart. It's still a I fun movie. Didn't say I didn't like the movie. A <laughs> I, I, very quick side story. I have a friend of mine who works in our history museum. Uh, it's a it's a Western art museum here in town, 
and he who wrote the screenplay for Tombstone because he's a historian. He knows all about the the, the story of Tombstone and uh, Wyatt Earp and the whole Earp family. And as they were going through, at one point, the writer compressed four or five things and got something out of the wrong. And Jim says to him, like, that it didn't happen that way. You know it didn't happen that way. He goes, right, but this is a movie, and at some point we're going to have to condense things and keep the audience interested. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, they knew full well they were changing some of the facts. But for the sake of the story, they realized, well, we're not going to sit in the theater for 13 hours and wait for the next winter. We're just going to compress it and go. Man right. who shot Liberty Valance. When the truth becomes, what is it? The truth becomes legend, print the legend. That's the line? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, Alan, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll leave it very easy. We have a, a, a listeners group attached to the Ride podcast, the Wilder Ride. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But if you go to our Facebook page, the Wilder Ride, you know, Facebook.com forward slash the Wilder Ride, uh, go over there, click like, but more importantly, click the join group. Uh, we have a private listener group. That way, whatever's said in the group stays in the group. It won't clog your feed or you won't have to feel embarrassed if you want to share something about your geek movie loves whatever we keep it all about entertainment fun uh music uh nothing political nothing religious i mean we're not trying to there's and there's nothing wrong if you want those discussions but do that somewhere else we just want to keep it a happy fun place for people who love gene wilder or or movies or entertainment so we'd love for you guys to come join us in the wilder ride listeners group all right, well, when you go join that group, go ahead and join our Facebook group, The Cooler. Otherwise, you can get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at GreatEscapeMXM. You can shoot us an email, TheGreatMinute at gmail.com, or you can check out our website, TheGreatEscapeMinute.com. Until tomorrow, tally-ho. 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 Tally-ho.